Like me, David Whitehouse is overly fond of spending time with strangers in his pyjamas. Um, and to launch his debut novel, he recently spent the day in bed at Foils. Bed, which I have here, tells the remarkable and sometimes revolting story of what happens to a promising young boy who goes to bed and decides not to get up again. Please welcome David Whitehouse. All right. All right. Um, bed, as was briefly said there, is a story of, uh, the life story of a family of a man named Malcolm Ead, who's an extraordinary boy, as you said, who goes to bed on his 25th birthday and he never gets out of bed ever again. And it's narrated by his younger brother, who's two years younger than him, who is doomed um, f over this period to share the bedroom with him for his entire life, pretty much. Um, it's a story about love and family and uh, emotional things like that. But I've just been to Latitude Festival for three days, haven't really slept. <laughs> I can't feel emotions anymore. So what I'm going to do is read um, <laughs> essentially a, a thing about a kind of bed bath. So we join Malcolm um, on... Not quite late on, he's a hundred stone. His arms are thicker than my legs. They are four times as thick, five or six maybe, and they look like rolled ham. He sheds skin, snake-like, with every move. Each morning he nests upon a fresh coat of it. His fingernails are thick and cracked and yellow and shiny, and they look like laminated lumps of cheese. His huge torso is contoured with stretch marks the length and thickness of a cowboy's leather belt, and I imagine them tearing. The folds in his flesh roll over and over like the dunes in a desert, and this is my landscape. The nurse who came once to teach us how to use the machinery to dry the sweat from mouse skin and prevent the irritation that made him feel as though he was being sanded told me a story about a morbidly obese woman from Wales. When she died of a heart attack at 78 stone, 45 years of age, they found a television remote control lost deep underneath her left breast. I like the thought of the volume rising and falling as she breathes and of the confusion as the screen went blank whenever she found something funny. I dread to think what's hidden deep inside Mao's crevices about the small animals pulled into the quicksand of his bulk. Now, considering that the chance of him getting hit by a bus, falling from a cliff, or being randomly attacked on a late night train is obliterated by his inability to leave the house, there is a surprisingly large number of ways for a hundred stone man to die. I listen to the medics explain them again. Obesity such as Mao's, the doctor grimaces, is influenced by genetic, metabolic, and environmental factors. Mal is the X on the line graph that charts where the three circumstances must meet for it to happen at an accelerated rate. Morbid obesity involves more than just a lack of willpower or a sedentary lifestyle. Morbid obesity. Morbid. No other human condition comes prepackaged with an introductory sentiment. This is because, technically at least, obesity is self-imposed. It implies that there is an alternative kind of obesity, a jolly obesity or a merry obesity, the kind that middle-aged single people with a good sense of humour have for a brief time before they become so huge and unlovable as to be classified as morbid. Whether Mal is morbid or not is difficult to tell. Selfish obesity would probably have been more suitably coined. The doctor always comes armed with newfangled gels and paste and pills and supplements and creams, and he reels off a checklist of invisible murderers. Coronary heart disease, hypertension, type two diabetes mellitus, hyperlipidemia, degenerative joint disease, obstru obstructive sleep apnea, Check, 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 check. Today's special from the menu is gastrophegal reflux disease. Heartburn in most, in Mallet had become an excruciating, angry, fire-breathing dragon. Manifested, it felt as though his heart was having great plumes of black oil smoke blown straight through it, ending only in the temporary reprieve of a hot, grotesque burp. 
It is day 7,483, according to the display on the wall. I don't even look at it anymore. A visiting doctor told me once that mouse horizontality meant he wasn't only prone to growing outwards faster than was normal, but also that he was becoming taller as a result. Now, we all grow at night, just by fractions and fractions of millimetres, but come the morning when we finally stand, the growth is compacted again by our own weight. That, he said, is why astronauts often return to Earth half an inch or so taller than they were when they left, which must be odd, he joked, when they come to kissing their wives hello. I watch Mal inhale his breakfast. He follows this by quickly wading into the enormous chocolate cake that Mum has made, scooping it with clawed hand and shoveling the crumbling, thick brown sponge mixture into his mouth with the jerky precision of an industrial digger. His mouth opens so wide that I can see the point where his tongue emerges from his lining. He's just a couple of degrees away from owning a flip-top head. That he doesn't must be attributed to evolutionary oversight, the survival of the least fit. The caramel adhesive that holds the cake together drips from his fingers and it dangles in strings from his lips and it clogs the wiry clumps of hair on his chin. But undeterred, he spoons in more and more, even before he has finished with the previous mouthful. His arm repeats that same motion with clockwork regularity. And I am taken aback, as I am every morning, by the deterioration in the health of his skin. Where once was florid boyishness is now a ruddy, mean-spirited mess. And the lack of fresh air has turned his face into a miserly wallet for dirt and sweat and grease. The resultant clusters of immature acne glisten at the sides of his nose, growing like a coral reef across his chin and down his neck, blinking in the sunlight as they slowly marinate in their own juices. Acne at 45 makes me feel better about living with my parents, living at home with my brother at 43, but only marginally. Now, the visual stimulus of watching Mal be bathed wrenches my stomach up into my esophagus. This bit is grim. Um, he looks like an enormous sea monster caught and displayed in a Victorian museum of the grotesque. Mum pushes the bedroom door open with her foot, carefully carrying a bowl of warm soapy water which splish-bloshes about it from side to side, occasionally making brave leaps in huge teardrops of freedom. It is spiked with a special antiseptic lotion and it spells of clean. She sets it down and begins work methodically, and I look on from the armchair in the corner of the room. She starts with his face, stroking the wet flannel across his brow and down his cheeks, and he wheezes like dust cake bellows, in and out, in and out, all of his effort consumed. She slides a hand under his left breast that hangs flag-like and slowly lifts it as though a rock in the garden and spiders might dash out. And it wouldn't even surprise me if they did. Underneath that fold, the skin is as white as an institution. It is racked with scabs and scratches, deprived of all sunlight and free of all life. And tenderly, she dabs the area with a soaked sponge. His eyes are cold and spent. The other colossal breast, done. Armpits, done. Next, the folds in his arm, which he sweeps for gathered fluff and finds enough to make a scarf for a doll. She puts down her tools and forces an arm underneath a fleshy ring of fat that divides the four different segments of his belly before dousing the newly exposed flaps in more warm lava and then down further still. She Mal closes his eyes. Mum approaches his gusset. She pushes her open hand into the massive mottled midsection, kneading it into positions it closes around her wrist like the soft, gummy jaws of a manatee and takes a towel to his privates and the infected blisters he's never seen. Then, as best she can, his back and underside, the chafed bottom of his legs, the edges of his buttocks that jut out like blocks of porky shelving and leave the sheets sodden with the sweat of a great weight, not allowing the heat inside him to escape. She moves a wet wipe once more around his chins in preparation for his shave, and it expels a bubble of trapped hair with a shrill whooping noise. It is a sound that never loses its novelty. Smothering the lower half of his face in thick slabs of foam, she carefully runs a razor around his outline. His skin is stretched and is thin and feeble, so he cuts easily, 
Occasionally I see the blade jar, a deep red trickle of blood blending with the foam like a death in the snow. I refuse to watch as she trims his toenails. I refuse to watch as she empties his bag. Thank you. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I've, ne I've never seen so many faces at the salon gradually getting smaller, all the features kind of moving to the centres. People's eyes actually moved. Um, and the word gusset is never, is never ever going to be good, is it? Um, you know something bad's happening when there's a gusset. Um, now, your, your book is being published by Canongate now, um, but your journey to publication has been quite an interesting one. I want you to tell us about that. Um, it was. I, I was lucky enough to um, get an agent quite early on, on the strength of... 5,000 words, but... Um, so wait there, so what were you doing when you did the 5,000 words? You were just... I was, a, uh, uh, I say, a freelance journalist. I was, a, I was unemployed. Um, <laughs> An uh, honest freelance journalist. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the phone wasn't ringing very much. I was spending an increasing amount of times in bed um, wanting to write, um, having no one that would have me do it for them. So I thought mm. I should do this for myself, which is something I wanted to do and suddenly was afforded the time mm. um, by proxy of that, really. So, so sitting in bed... Realising I'd be quite happy never get out, but also not liking bailiffs, I thought um, I, w I will begin to write the book. And um, got 5,000 words in, which are the first 5,000 words of the book now, pretty much. Mm. And, um, and was lucky enough to get an agent from there on. Um, I, th I then had to go and finish the book, um, sadly, because I hadn't thought about what I was going to do. Um, and when you started the book, did you know how it, how it would end? I don't want to be spoilerish about about the end, but... no. <laughs> no, anyway. No, not um, at all. No. No, okay. No, not, I, I had a feeling about the reason it's such short chapters is because um, I was making it up as I went along. Well, lots <laughs> of people make it up as they go along and don't yeah. necessarily write short chapters. I mean, you're making, you're making a choice, and that did irritate me to begin with. Um, but as I went on, it the, the, the rhythm of it became comforting, familiar. This was the, yeah. the way you dipped in and out of these characters, the reality. Actually, too much of it, I think, would have been a bit. You know, that chapter would yeah. have been a bit grim. So you, you then won... Um, we, it, uh, we tried to sell it, and we, we, we didn't work. Um, and it sat kind of in the drawer for two years. It, uh, two years. And, it, um, and then a, a very clever company run by clever, clever people called To Hell um, did, uh, started an award at around the London Book Fair time a year ago last April, which was called To Hell with prizes for unpublished manuscripts. And every agency... I think, got to submit a manuscript that they hadn't sold was sitting in their drawer. Wow. So I'd given up on it by this point. Um, I'd forgotten it, largely. Um, and it won, okay. which was nice. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, there, is, there are shades of Jeremy Kyle in this scenario. Um, the kind of there's, a, there's a daytime TV quality about the luridness of the characters and, and the way their lives become, because this man becomes 100 stone and he's been in bed for 20 years, he becomes a legend where he lives and a worldwide story and I'm wondering if there's you know if that was part of it part of the D if daytime TV had when you were at home being a freelance yeah, journalist you know you watch a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah I watch a lot of daytime TV um, <laughs> and it's true Jeremy Carl was on in the background for a lot of it <laughs> <laughs> very true um, yeah there was an element of being f uh, fascinated by the amount of television that I watched which mm. was Herculean um, including the doc every documentary that's ever been made about someone who weighs over kind of 13 stone. I've, s I've seen it, and there are lots of those. Um, so that was, yeah, that was the basis of my research, to a degree. 
Um, now, Bed is narrated by Mal's younger brother, who, like the second Mrs. De Winter, is never named. Um, but in interviews, you've said in the past, well, I would, I would call him David if I had to give him a name. Yeah. What does that tell us about you? <laughs> no pressure. Um, I think that's happened to him. I kind of robbed him of a name, really. It, did it he have a name and you took it away, or did you just never give him a name? I just got so far in that it, I couldn't figure out a way for someone to then turn around and go, all right, Paul. Yeah. Know, it, it, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't really work. And then I realised that was because he doesn't really have... I don't want to say about the narrator of my book doesn't have a personality, but he largely doesn't, because he's, he does, but it's a normal one. And the, the big personality of the book is his brothers, which he lives in the shadow of. So not giving me a name kind of robbed him of that, really, which was the last thing to rob him of. Mm. He's robbed of his life, essentially. Yeah, no, he, he, he absolutely is. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about, about, about a lot about Mal. And, um, you know, he's, he, he starts off his life as a quite extraordinary child. He takes his clothes off randomly in public, and he's very intimidating to people at school, and you're thinking, medication, medication, medication. And, 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 but yet, there's, but he's not malicious. He's a bit largely benign influence. And, and, and he, when he chooses, because it's a choice, to become massive... Yeah. You know, and mould to his bedsheets and all the rest of it, and you, and you think I, I was thinking is is it first of all is it benign or is it is it malign? I couldn't work out. Has he given up or is he making you know is he making a kind of some sort of stand? That's part of the question of the book, really. People asking why he did it, but it, what it is 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 um, as a child, he's, he's such an extraordinary imagination um, that kind of real adult life can only you know I won't speak for all of you, but if we'll fail to. to We'll fail to live up to people's expectations. You know, we're a generation of people, boys particularly, age five and six, getting told you're going to be an astronaut. And um, you're not going to be an astronaut. So, you know, it's, it's, it's ultimately a disappointment. And he reacts to that. He, dro- he can't exceed or it can't live up to his expectations. Did you want to be an astronaut? I still do. Okay. <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> we can make it happen. We can crowdfund that. Um, so go on. Um, so he drops out as a result of that, really. And um, I like books about dropping out. Uh, I read a lot of them as a teenager when you do, when you think that's the kind of thing you can do and you can't really. Mm. Um, but they, you know, they're dropping out I- in other ways, both in the 70s be taking acid. But, but it took me as, it struck me that the purest way of dropping out was simply to stop existing but still be alive, which is what he does. He goes to bed and he doesn't do anything. Um, and the, the, the person who feeds him in this book is his mother, yeah. largely. Um, and the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in the book about how too much love is as damaging as too little, isn't there? I mean, there's yeah. there's many relationships. There's not just Mal and his mother. There's 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 a father who's largely absent. He's up in up in the attic, and then there's this woman called Norma B, who's in America, who also fed her husband until he died, and yeah. and gave and gave them a trailer. Um, I, I I wondered, you know, it, it seems like ev- almost everybody in the book suffers from too much love. Yeah, I think so, and the, it's it's the effects of of it over a lifetime. I think you know, family is a very powerful thing that we sometimes neglect because we have to have one, um, to a de- you know, kind of some of us. Um, you know, the, the love of the family is a very powerful thing, but also his girlfriend in the, in the book who who is completely in love with him and he rejects her. So it goes both ways. Mm. Um, so you so it's about the, it's about how potent a force that can be, okay. um, and not always, and mostly not for the good. I think um, so pessimistic. The um, no, there there are a couple of very hilarious points in the book. I kind of don't want to give them away, but one of them involves a TV presenter being unveiled on television as wearing a wig, and he attacks Mal's giant body and clambers over it. Um, and it was one of the most grotesque. It was like Princess Leia attacking Jabba. It was so un- unnerving. And I was reading it thinking, television rights, television rights. <laughs> you know, is it something? Because you make films as well, is it something that you could see visually? 
Um, that was particularly, I don't know how you'd make a hundred stone man. I think you'd have to build him um, or fe you know, feed someone a lot. Um, but yeah, I could, I could see that part of it visually. I could, yeah, I always saw it um, played out as though it was on mm. television in my head, I think, possibly because yeah. I was watching Jeremy Kyle for, <laughs> for most of it. Um, now, I had read somewhere that you have a new novel of mine called Mobile Library. Yeah. Is, that, is that still a novel that's in mind? Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it's very early days, but it's a, a book about a woman in her 40s with, um, with a difficult family life and no friends who makes friends with a 12-year-old uh, boy who lives down the road who's, um, who's a little bit smarter than your average boy, not bear, boy. And, um, <laughs> and um, sh she, like my mother did, cleaned, cleaned a mobile library, so every Saturday, it was a huge thing, the juggernaut, and every Saturday I used to sit there and kind of mess around on the carpet and read books and things and, you know, not know what was going on. But it's, it's I want them to have a kind of Thelma and Louise-style relationship, but a, a 40-year-old woman and a 12-year-old boy going on a journey through Britain. So are they going to hijack the mobile they're library? Gonna, yeah, they're going to go away in this mobile library. Amazing. And, and, uh, <laughs> Really horrible things might happen. That kind of oh, no, can't good, <laughs> things ha can't good things happen to them? Some mobile good things library. will happen. She's happy. He's happy. Okay. Okay. You happy? I'm happy. I'm happy. I'll take a couple of questions now. I can see a hand raising here. Sylvia? Yes? Hello. I mean, we've kind of covered this point already, but basically I, th I think there's something that interesting. You know, could you, if things happened in your life in the way that they happened to Mal, are you the kind of person that would take to bed or would you, would no, you, would you get up? It's a fantasy about having the... Courage, because I think that's probably the bravest thing you can do. We live in fear of the bills turning up and being able to pay them, all of us. Um, so, so the bravest thing you could do is to simply, you know, we wish we could all go, no, I'm not doing this anymore. It's all the boring parts of being alive, which is what he, what he um, rebels against, what he stops doing, really. Okay. Um, lady at the back whose hand came up like lightning. Yes. Go. Yeah. Did, 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 your, did your own family, when they've read the book, think, we're not like Jeremy Kyle people, we're nice? My dad hadn't read a book since, um, I think it was 1968, <laughs> and it was called The Virgin Soldier. Um, and um, that's the truth. And he read this one and, and didn't see any of himself in it. Though he is largely the father character, he's quite a quiet man. Um, my mother's kind of almost oppressively lovely. Um, <laughs> as is the woman in the book, a very caring woman, you know, who saw parts of himself in it, but I'm not being rude about them, they don't mind, they're very um, level-headed. Do you have a brother? I do have a brother, yeah, who was, who, like Mal, was quite a strange and erratic child who did like, lots of really weird things. He kind of spent two years in his bedroom not telling us what he was doing with a really crap kind of Amstrad or Spectrum home computer in the kind of 80s, maybe early 90s, and it turned out after two years he'd started his own computer games company, invented a computer game called... S called Sam the Bogey, hadn't told... About called Slam the Bogey. Sam the Bogey, Sam about a bogey called Sam that... He was only 12, okay. 13. <laughs> it was like a platform game, like Mario, it jumped, jumped over and things, and he'd started distributing and selling this, this before the internet, <laughs> um, across Britain, out the back pages of uh, computer game fanzines, and had actually s started making money, and the only reason we discovered it is because he started getting checks in the post. <laughs> And as, as soon as um, <laughs> as soon as my mum found out, she goes, "What are you doing? What's all this?" And he he lost interest in it. He stopped. Like Mal is right. know, quite strange behaviour. I don't think he, he never cashed those checks. Really? Uh, yeah. Probably about twelve quid, but still. He <laughs> it's, it's in today's <laughs> money, that's yeah. a lot. He started a business. It's um, incredible. Yeah, not bad. And your role in that relationship was to be the kind of the good. Were you the good brother? Were you the kind of peacemaking? I was probably brother? the more. I was more annoying. Right. Um, to them. Yeah. To yeah. him, he, he hated me. He doesn't hate me now, but. Um, I was I was kind of I was just out doing normal boy stuff while he was doing that kind of thing, 
amazing. Yeah. David Whitehouse, thank you very much. Thank you.